This week features a story that you have to see to believe, but this is an audio-only podcast, and the pictures are a little intense, so this will have to do. This is the 5 a.m. Miracle, episode number 256, Pregnancy and a Wild Birth Story, with my wife, Tessa Sanders. Sort of just felt a pop, and <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, the baby's head popped out. So I just yelled your name. And I came running in, and I see you over the toilet with a baby's head popped out. <laughs> Good morning, and welcome to the 256th episode of the 5 a.m. Miracle. I am Jeff Sanders, and this is the podcast dedicated to dominating your day before breakfast. My goal is to help you bounce out of bed with enthusiasm, create powerful, lifelong habits, and tackle your grandest goals with extraordinary energy. Here on this show, we discuss early mornings, and we dive deep into topics like healthy habits, personal developments, and rockin' productivity. This week, like the last episode, is a little different, so be sure to tune in to this episode uh, after you've heard the first one. So go back to episode 255, listen to that one, enjoy it, and then come back to this one because it'll make a whole lot more sense and it'll be a whole lot more fun. All right, let's dig in right now with the feature episode this week, my interview with my wife, Tessa Sanders. Hey, this is Jeff Sanders, and welcome back to the 5A Miracle Studio. I am here once again with my wife, Tessa. Here we are again. That's right. Back for part two of our series here on uh, what basically is is bringing a child into the world and all the various aspects of that. So if you missed the last episode, uh, you definitely want to tune into that one. Episode 255, where we discussed IVF, fertility, and all of our fun challenges around getting pregnant to begin with. Uh, which we left off in the last episode uh, at our 10-week checkup looking for the heartbeat where we didn't hear it. Uh, That was was kind of a cliffhanger. (laughs) Ominous end result. I mean, obviously, there there is a baby, so it's not like it's that ominous. But we are discussing today uh, the whole process of pregnancy and then a really fun and interesting and wild birth story. So uh, if you are curious about the, the best part of the story, we'll say that to the very end, of course, uh, but it's a good one. It's one you definitely want to hear. So Tessa, let's just uh, pick up where we left off. Uh, so we did the 10-week heartbeat check. We didn't hear a heartbeat. Take us from there. So at that point, we had just shifted from the IVF clinic, which has like lots of technology and all sorts of machines and things. Um, And we had seen the heartbeat before there Mm -hmm. at the fertility clinic a few times, actually. And then we switched to a birth center. And so there, the technology is not quite as state of the art. And so they were using a, um, I think it's called a Doppler. It's Mm -hmm. like you just sort of hear the heartbeat. Um, It's not like an ultrasound um, exactly. The first time... They didn't hear it, and they were like, oh, it's probably fine. It's pretty early. Come back in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though they were fairly positive, it was still really just nerve-wracking. Because I, you know, I think many women in that early phase of pregnancy are like, is this pregnancy going to happen? Is this real? Mm-hmm. Is it going to stay? Is it not? What's going to be like? If it stays, what's it going to be like if it doesn't? Um, and so that those two weeks between our first um attempt to hear the heartbeat at the birth center to the 12 week appointment a couple weeks later was just the whole two weeks were really stressful for me mm-hmm. and tense. Um, and then when we did go back at the 12 week point, they were able to 
hear the heartbeat. Um, it was faint, but it was there. Yes. Actually, do you remember they had to like bring someone else in? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, do you hear that? And I was like, not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we were able to hear it at that point. Um, and so that provided a little bit of comfort. But I think I would characterize the whole first trimester and some of the second for me as like just really kind of hesitant and and wondering like is this too good to be true well i think that having gone through fertility treatments for such a long time and then finding out we were pregnant it wasn't like most people find out that they're pregnant which could be a surprise in some cases like ours was so calculated that even when we got to that stage it was knowing the the risks and knowing the odds of miscarriage and knowing all the things we knew it just i was never totally comfortable saying publicly we were pregnant even mm-hmm. when we announced it, it was like, ah, is this even a thing we should say? Because we waited a little bit to, to announce it. but Well, we were going to wait a little bit to announce it. And then you we... got a little... <laughs> well, I got antsy. I <laughs> a <wouldn't>... little antsy <laughs> and decided to share it with the world. Yes. But I, and I wanted to because I think I, I wanted it to be real. And mm-hmm. I wanted to go through that process. And I, I think a big part of me, I wanted to assume this was going to work and just mm-hmm. kind of have that mentality. Um, as opposed to the assumption I'd had up until that point, which was everything's going to fail all the time. Right. And I was trying to get out of that mindset. And I mean, that was, I think, a, a healthy perspective, but it was still kind of this back and forth in my head of, you know, what's real, what's not, where are we? Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, we we made the announcement and that led us up to what most uh, people go through, which is the 20-week ultrasound uh, to get a checkup. So tell us about that one. So for that one, that's usually when you find out the gender, although because we did IVF, we already knew the gender, Mm -hmm. but I still wanted them to like, be like, it's a girl. So I can be like, okay, good. (laughs) I remember that one too, because she was like, do you know the gender yet? Because it was a a different clinic and, and we were like, well, yeah, we already know. And she was like, well, good. Because I could see her lady parts. (laughs) I was like, okay, I guess that clarifies the genders. We're good there. Yes. So the way that those ultrasounds work. So because we were at the birthing center, we they didn't have the ultrasound machines there. So we were at, like Jeff said, a different clinic. Um, So new people Mm -hmm. um, and they sort of do the ultrasound, but they don't really tell you how it, like what the results are, I guess. And I didn't understand that. The person who reads the ultrasound later is the one, usually radiologists who'll read it later. So the person that was a technician that day was just doing the ultrasound. And I was trying to get a, a, a sense from her, what she saw. And I didn't quite get a good feeling. From it, because she seemed a little like I, this. Is, I remember this too. She was talking a lot, asking you questions, and then there was like a weird lull where she stopped talking. It was like digging around for a while, looking for stuff, and I got this sense of like she she's found something. She thinks she's found something, and that made me really nervous at that point. Mm-hmm. But I think they're like supposed to be very neutral, mm-hmm. so it wasn't obvious really. And then we left, and we were like, okay, so this is really happening and i remember we were like kind of excited in the hallway mm-hmm. do you remember that yeah um being like this is real we saw the baby we saw her foot yeah. like this <laughs> is happening um and then later that day maybe or was it the next day i don't know yeah um, but we got a call from the midwife at the birth center saying like they had seen something on the ultrasound and that actually seemed two two little somethings and the Well and they left us a very ominous voicemail, basically giving us in many ways the worst case scenario. Like what we think we saw could lead to X, Y, and Z. 
And all that did was just cause immediate panic and nervousness on our part because now we're thinking worst case scenario because that's kind of how they painted that picture for us. And they, you know, I distinctly remember them saying things like Down syndrome and Mm -hmm. chromosomal abnormalities and stillbirth. And I was just really, really concerned. And in hindsight, we probably shouldn't have been because we had done genetic testing through the IVF process. Yes. So the likelihood at that point that we would have a baby with genetic abnormalities was very low because we had been, her little egg was tested for that. But just hearing someone say those words for me was like really triggering. And I remember having a meltdown in the car Mm -hmm. um, and just again, going into a few more weeks of anxiety and concern. Um, Well, I mean, knowing that we had done the genetic testing, like I knew from that process that, I mean, they were screening for dozens of different possibilities, but there's still no guarantee that the the embryo couldn't evolve after it was implanted and after you're already pregnant. And so it was not a guarantee by any means that we would not have a baby with some possible issue. And so at that ultrasound, when they said they thought they saw something, like it's still a very real possibility. It wasn't as if we were, you know, had a foolproof guaranteed baby. It was like we have still a living being that could evolve and change. And so that was nerve wracking. And they let us you know, into another two-week waiting period to get a second ultrasound to verify the results and a second opinion to see what they would find. And, and that was probably, for me personally, that was our worst two weeks in pregnancy where I was the most concerned because I just did not know what to expect at that point. And there were a lot of medical terms being thrown around and we were told to go see a fetal medicine specialist and a geneticist and, and that's where we ordered additional genetic testing. We paid for even more testing just to get more information. Because I think that, that both of us were on the same page at that point, which was the more we know, the better. And so we're going to basically get every test that's, that's available to us within reason to give us the best possible knowledge to work with. And the, the funny thing about that was when we got the test results back later, it was basically like, you guys are totally perfect. I think they only found like one possible rare issue that would only happen on a very rare occasion. And it was like everything else was totally fine. And so we really did kind of clear the board in that sense to say like we we should be fine. Well, it was good to know that, you know, we don't have sort of genetic issues or syndromes or whatever Mm -hmm. sort of lurking in the background. Because I've heard that there are some that like if we both have it, that could make it more likely that if we have a boy, the boy has that Mm, condition or if we have a girl something would happen with her so um given that we know the gender of the eggs that we have frozen i was wondering you know do we have something that would like impact if we do decide to have another baby in the future our decision to to go with a certain gender or whatever but it came out all pretty clear which was good because after that you know two-week waiting period and the second opinion came through they basically said that the first ultrasound had fuzzy results, and so they were unsure. And so the second one was much more clear, and there were, we were good to go. No problems at all. Uh, but just having gone through that, like I'm just very frustrated that that's even how the process works because it just put us into this like you know frenzy of panic, uh, ultimately for no reason. Uh, but I think that's that's parenting in many ways that we've discovered ever since then is that there's always going to be something to be concerned about. There's always something to be paranoid about. And that was just our thing at that stage in the game. Um, luckily, at that point, then the rest of pregnancy went pretty well. Yeah, but I think that was sort of the 
sort of a turning point in our pregnancy where I realized I don't like hospitals. Mm. I don't want to know worst case scenarios for everything. Of course, I want to be informed about what's going on. I want to be able to prepare if I need to, but I don't want to be um, panicked if if there's not really anything to panic about. Well, I think at that stage, we kind of realized there is such a thing as knowing too much and knowing every possibility because then you can't you know, play the ignorance card. You can't just be a happy pregnant person. You are a paranoid person who is freaking out at every possibility, and we didn't want to play that game anymore. It, it, that, that was kind of like the, we. this is not going to be a good fit. Um, so tell us about then, at the, so this stage, this is essentially when you decided we wanted to switch from a kind of the birth center uh, we, we were at to a much more kind of hippie experience that we ended up with. Uh, so talk us about that transition right there. So we had decided for the first part of the pregnancy to go with this birth center idea, um, thinking that that would be a little bit, you know, farther removed from a hospital setting. My hope at that time was to have a natural birth in this birth center. And then if something went wrong, we get easily transferred to the hospital that was because the birth by. center essentially is connected to the hospital, but it's a little more natural. It's, it doesn't feel like a hospital when you're there. It feels much more like you're in kind of like someone's home in a sense, uh, but everyone who's there is a, a practicing nurse and or, or, and or midwife, and so you've got a lot of people and a lot of access to medical care if you want it, uh, but the, the, the goal at that birth center is to kind of not use it if you don't need it. Right. What if in 2024 you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with my sponsor, Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, including ordering food and asking for directions without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. 
so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. So that was our plan, but after this sort of situation with our 20-week scan, I realized I want to... Well, I started asking myself, do I want this to be my birth plan? Um, And I had read a book a few months earlier about this place called The Farm, a midwife center. And um, the book has all these beautiful birth stories about natural births. And toward the end of the book, it said, you know, this this midwife center is one of a kind. It's in Middle Tennessee. And I was like, wait, we live in Middle Tennessee. (laughs) And so I looked it up before and it was about an hour and a half, maybe more um, from our house. And so I was like, oh, well, that would be cool if we could go there. But, you know, that's pretty far to go for care. So we'll just stick with the birth center here in town. Um, But after this 20 week um, stuff, (laughs) I really started wondering, like, could we make it work? Could we go, you know, drive an hour and a half to go to prenatal appointments? Could we give birth there? Would we want to even? Um, And so I remember standing in this room, actually, asking you, like, what do you think about this? Um, And of course, you didn't give me like a really firm answer. It was really just whatever you want. (laughs) Well, I mean, at that point, I I mean, you're the one who's pregnant, not me. And so, and you're the one who's going to give birth, not me. And so to that degree, it was whatever is going to make you feel the most comfortable. That's what I'll go with. Like, even though I know that I'm not a fan of hospitals and I get a little weirded out around medical equipment in in general, the idea that you wanted to do a more natural birth that kind of feels like a home birth. That was kind of how you pitched it to me, but it wouldn't be at our home, maybe someone else's home, essentially (laughs) like that idea to me was I mean, it's a foreign idea to me because at that point, like I've never known anybody to do this style of a birth. I mean, in the United States in 2018, like hospital births are what people do. And so it wasn't, I I know people do home births. I know people do non-traditional births, but it wasn't on my radar that that's what we would be doing. And so when you brought it up, I was like, well, let's, let's just go see it and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I had a very clear picture in my head that like, people give birth in hospitals and when you go into labor you go to the hospital and Mm -hmm. when your parents come to see your baby they come and see you in the hospital um and so before we went to visit the farm i had that so clearly in my mind um but after we went for a visit i sort of started to picture a new possible way to have a baby so yeah we went down to visit the farm you know drove the the hour and a half through the country which is a very gorgeous drive here in you know middle to southern tennessee and we get to a place that's, I mean, it is as hippie as you could possibly get. So the, I'll give a brief history of the farm. It essentially started with some hippies in California in the early 1970s. And they were looking for a place with all, all these women and men who were essentially wanting to live off the grid. I and mean, this is very like old school 60s, 70s hippies. And they were looking for property to buy. And one of the members found a bunch of property in southern Tennessee and so they decided to drive in these big buses from California to Tennessee. They bought all this land and they set up essentially what was like a commune. And it kind of became a cult for a little bit. And they had this bizarre kind of spiritual uh, focus uh, that didn't last for very long. But in the process of them growing this property, they had all kinds of people that were giving birth there. And then they got really good and talented at giving birth and having natural births because they didn't have access to to hospitals or to medical care on the property. And the nearest hospital is still at least a 30 minute drive away. 
And so they just essentially became like an in-house midwife center. And that in the last, what, 30 plus years has become what they're good at. And now they're internationally renowned for giving, you know, birth or allowing women to come and give birth there in a natural way with an extraordinary, you know, low rate of C-section. Uh, they've got this up to date. Not a single mother has died during pregnancy. They have very few issues. And so when I saw those numbers and I saw that like this place, like they're really good at what they do. And so based on the numbers alone, I was already like really curious. And then we get there and it's this place that really is just a big open property. There's a lot of land. There's some random cabins. And we went and visited our midwife at that point who is, you know, she's been doing this for 47 years. Uh, she gave birth uh, to her kids on the farm, you know, many years ago. Uh, there's a documentary about the farm that actually has her giving birth in the documentary. So there's, there's so much from that that I took in that it was, I, I, I want to know more. And so we went and visited at that point. Yeah. And when we got there, it was just this whole different feel. I mean, granted, they're yeah. they're not the most technologically savvy place either. <laughs> um, so when we first got there, I was kind of looking around being like, is this for us? <laughs> but the way the midwife talked to us, um, talked about birth, was just so different from what we experienced even at the birth center here in town. Totally different. That yeah. it made me... By the time we left, I was like, this is for us. Well, it's fascinating to me because everything about it was like the opposite of what I had known about birth. And I remember sitting there listening to our midwife talk about what it would be like to give birth there. And I was just thinking, yes, yes, yes. All of these things. Yes. Like I want this whole thing. And knowing we have to pay out of pocket up front, knowing that it would be an hour and a half long drive, knowing that could there could be some, you know, a lot of unknowns. But I was still just like, whatever this is, this is working, and I want to be a part of this. And I think one of the big differences is we were talking to her about childbirth, and she just seemed to think that childbirth is this beautiful, natural thing that doesn't necessarily need to be medicalized. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? And she was kind of like, well, those things don't really happen here. But right. <laughs> if they do, like, we'll just deal with it. And it wasn't like... um what we had experienced before where every what if seemed to be a red flag, urgent emergency that needed to be addressed on the front end. Yes. Um, and so that was a big change. I also remember her talking to you like as a human during that pregnancy. That was a first, a, yeah. A lot of our prenatal care was so focused on me. And it was really hard for Jeff to be like a part of it mm -hmm. because they almost acted like you weren't there. <laughs> Most of the time, that was the case, which I think that ha happens. I wasn't too surprised about that, but it was nice to be included. So at this point, we decided that the farm was going to be a good fit for us, and we started to go into our prenatal care appointments uh, for the next few months and kind of getting a better feel for it and learning more about what the place would be, uh, discovering that we'd be giving birth like in a cabin, uh, which the one we ended up in was a place that's, what, over a 1,000 women have given birth there over the last 30-plus years, uh, probably 40 years now, and it's... That was kind of like our getting more uh, used to like what this might be like for us for the actual birth. Um, so at that point, you began to go into more of your later st stage pregnancy and talk to us about, about the uh, the podcast you found. Yeah. So I think during sort of second, third trimester pregnancy, a lot of women, quote, prepare by creating a baby registry and organizing stuff. 
I did a little bit of that, but really as a first time pregnant woman, I was, I felt very not equipped to create a registry list or to start to accumulate stuff. Not only because we don't really like a lot of stuff in our house, but also I don't know what we need. Mm-hmm. Um, so that part was really stressful to me. Um, and so I decided to spend a little bit more time preparing sort of emotionally, physically, spiritually, that sort of thing for the birth and the entrance into motherhood. So I started reading a few different books and listening to podcasts. And one of the podcasts I really like was called the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. It's got a lot of natural birth stories, positive birth stories, and it talks a lot about um, how to sort of not be scared of labor and delivery. Um, And one of the episodes, someone said, you know, this could be the best day of your life. Mm. And I think that was such a paradigm shift from all these horror stories that I had heard about labor and delivery. And so I really liked this podcast. And so I listened to it all throughout my second and third trimester. Um, And I was just fascinated by these women who seemed to just really enjoy labor and had, you know, these really wonderful experiences. And I really wanted to have that happen. Um, And I think sort of shifting my mindset from preparing by gathering stuff to preparing myself um, sort of from the inside out, I think was a huge, a huge, another sort of turning point for me. Yeah, I mean, at that stage, I was kind of buying furniture, building the nursery. We were scheduling baby showers. We were kind of going through the motions that people do when they're in the late stage of pregnancy. But it was fascinating to watch you going through this very internal preparation that you were doing to, to make sure that you were ready for that day, um, which I think that as we discussed ever since then is that we've seen a lot of people who really just assume when the day shows up, well, I'll just go to the hospital, the doctors will take care of me, and that'll be it. And they really don't prepare themselves for the event, just kind of assuming it'll just happen. But I think that you spent well, at least a couple of months in full preparation for that, uh, which then led you to what we did for a six-week class with hypnobabies, which is very unique and one I think that was probably the most effective thing in this process. Yeah, so I really wanted to sort of prepare myself so that I felt like I could give birth, not that somebody would do birth to me or somebody would <laughs> right. deliver my baby. Like, I really wanted to deliver my own baby. Yes. Um, and to really not have a lot of interventions or um, people or noise or monitoring, any of that stuff. I really just kind of wanted to to prepare my body so that I could trust myself to do what I needed to do during that time. Um, and I was listening to this podcast, the Fear Free Childbirth podcast, and they kept talking about hypnobabies and hypnobirthing. Um, and I think those two things are... Um, a little bit more common in the UK, but I kept hearing all these stories where these women were talking about that. So I decided to look into it and see if there was anything like that here in Nashville. And we found a hypnobabies class. And so we signed up for it. Yeah. And then we went, it was uh, Friday evenings for six weeks. And we went and there was probably what, six couples that were there. And we went through the hypnobabies, you know, protocol, their, their class and it was essentially hypnosis for women, and, and it was really for, for them and their, and their partner, uh, but mostly for the one who's giving birth, uh, to get yourself into a place where you were literally going to do self-hypnosis so you could calm yourself completely from the inside out. And it was designed that you would do this uh, not just uh, the day that you give birth, but also the many months leading up to it, which that's, I think, what ultimately 
was the most effective for you is that you had this mentality, this mindset shift, and you were relaxing your, your entire, your soul, your body, everything, so that when the day showed up, it was just this very calm, natural, okay, let's do this now. And I think that that to me was the most fascinating part about it because it really did work and it was a, a kind of a magical thing to see happen. Yeah, I really wanted to be able to calm myself down on command. I wanted mm. to be able to tell myself, like, calm down and to be able to do it and to go in a really fully relaxed state of being. And to have the strategies to know what to do in that moment. Right. And the more you practice the hypnosis, the self-hypnosis, the more effective it is. So that's why I did it for sort of a couple months leading up to our birth is the more you do it, the better able you are to sort of get into it when you need it. Yeah. And so at, at that point, we you, we finished the six weeks of classes and that led us up to, oh, so we're probably three weeks out from our due date. And I guess we can tell the birth story now. This is basically where it kicks in. Okay, Because um, we, we had finished. This is where the wild part kicks in. So if you're just not tuning in, <laughs> welcome to the best part of the story. Um so you finished the, the classes with hypnosis. We were prepared uh, or preparing for the delivery. Uh, in terms of my business, I had scheduled some time off uh, near the due date. Um, and you had scheduled time off at work. And so we were essentially prepared. But she showed up two and a half weeks early. And this is what kind of threw us for a loop. It was a Sunday evening. Uh, we had just gone to the pool that day. This was June 24th, 2018. Uh, we'd gone to the pool. I had mowed the lawn. I'd gone for a workout. Uh, we had just made dinner. And you were literally in the dining room walking to the dining room table. And all of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute. My, wa- my water broke. <laughs> Go from there. Yeah. Well, I wasn't exactly sure what it was. Um, but I felt something. And so I was like, oh, my water broke. And then I was like, oh, I don't know if my water broke. I don't I don't know. It wasn't obvious that that was it. Yeah. It's like it was, and then I second-guessed it because I don't know what it's like when your water breaks. <laughs> right. um, so then we called our midwife, and she was like, if it's your water has broken, you'll know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we hung up and kind of carried on a little bit. And it was like, what, five minutes later, <laughs> it just very obvious your water had broke at that point. Yes. And yeah. I was like walking around the house being like, I guess I should go stand like in the bathtub or over the <laughs> toilet or something because um, it was coming out. So at that point, we knew... This is happening. I still didn't have any other symptoms. I didn't. I wasn't having any contractions. Um, nothing. None of the other sort of symptoms that they say to be on the lookout for. Which I think was p- partly why we were a little bit, you know, thrown off by it. I mean, earlier in that day, you had mentioned you felt something different. Mm-hmm. There was a little more pressure. But I mean, up to that point, you had said that a few times because you know the baby was getting bigger, your belly was expanding, like things were shifting. So it wasn't that surprising. And mm-hmm. we're still two and a half weeks out. So it's like, well, yeah, that's fine. And I had heard that first time mothers tend to go past their due date. Right. So I was expecting a late though, delivery. Right. I was expecting like another month right. of being pregnant. And I wasn't a huge pregnant woman. So I also was expecting my belly to get bigger. Yes. <laughs> Fast forward to the end of 2024 and think about your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should check out my sponsor, Babbel. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. 
Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, and studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, including ordering food and asking for directions, without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply. Once my water broke and we realized this was actually happening, Jeff went to the store. Well, this th- this is the funny part to me is that this is when your kind of hypnosis training kicked in and you're like, okay, this is happening and you were calm and rational. And I didn't really go through that process for myself too much. So this is when I kind of started to panic because, you know, we were early and I was not prepared at that point in time. It was just like 8 p.m. at night. And so I decided, like, well, now's the time we have to pack all our stuff because we have to drive an hour and a half down to the farm. And so that's, I began packing like crazy. I went to the store to buy a few more supplies. It was a laundry. very- we did laundry. There's a long supply list you have to have because basically we're going to a cabin where we're detached from the world for the next, you know, probably week or two. We weren't really sure how long we'd be there. And so we just packed up all this stuff, took about two and a half hours. And during that process, that's when labor kicked in for you, right? Yes. And I also had work tasks to do. So I was laboring and having contractions and on my laptop, emailing the people at work, being like, hey, can you guys finish this for me? Um, Yes. And so I knew, so my water broke around 8.30. This was a couple hours later and I was like, this is getting pretty intense. Like, I don't know how I'm going to be in the car. Um, So I got out my little hypnosis track and started listening to it and trying to kind of get myself in the zone. Jeff finished packing the car and was like, are you ready? Yeah. So that was about 11 p.m. We decided, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to drive down to the farm now. And that was the most nervous I've ever been in driving a vehicle in my life. Uh, I was driving as fast as I safely could um, down these crazy country roads, um, knowing full well that there are two different hospitals we pass on the way. And so I was like, if I need to, I could pull off at these locations. And so I was always monitoring, like, how far away am I from the nearest hospital? Um, at one point, I almost hit a deer because it was, you know, it was late. It was dark. It was, you know, at that point, 1130, midnight. And I was on these really dark, you know, twisty country roads with no lights. And uh, we then eventually arrived at the farm about 1230 in the morning. Uh, this is Monday, June 25th. And you were at that point pretty much in full on labor. Like, mm-hmm. I talked about how it was to labor in the car at that point. So, like I said, I was doing my hypnosis tracks and I was just really trying to get myself to fully relax, um, not resist what my body was trying to do. Um, and also not think too hard about it, just sort of let it all happen. Um, and so I really, I remember I had a little blanket wrapped around me. I had my eyes closed. I had my headphones in. And so I really was not aware of what was going on. Um, so the drive didn't really seem long or short to me. I kind of, I was just out of it. I zoned out, um, and really just sort of went, um, moment by moment and tried to remain physically relaxed and, Um, that sort of took all my energy. So I didn't really think about 
what was going on. I didn't look at the clock. I didn't, you know, I, I noticed when he almost hit the deer <laughs> because he <laughs> swerved and I opened my eyes and was like, oh gosh. Um, but, you know, the, the contractions were not totally pain-free. They were, you know, it, they were building an in intensity. Um, so it kind of took all my focus to just really look within. Um, At that point too, I was a little bit nervous because I have never seen you be in labor before and you had some pretty intense breathing and some moments where I was like, do I need to pull over? Like what's going to happen? Uh, but ultimately we did, we got to the farm and, and you were okay. And so at that point I helped you get from the car into our cabin because we had called our midwife at this point and said like, you know, make sure the gates unlocked so we can get in. And she told us about the cabin we we're going to go to. And so we got to our cabin, got tested into, into the cabin and you went to the bathroom at that point to labor. Yeah. So I wasn't exactly sure sort of what was happening. Um, but I felt like I just wanted to go to the bathroom, sit on the toilet for a while. Um, and I was, I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't think I can do this for like the 24 or 48 hours that people say this is going to take. But I kind of made that thought go away quickly and just try to focus on the moment and just be very present and not think about how much time has passed or how long it was taking or anything like that. At that point, you were in full on hypnosis mode and you were really you know, zoning in. And I was working on unpacking the car and, and preparing to be up all night long and thinking about how we were going to get ourselves into that that point. So I, I called the midwife and made sure that like she was, you know, she literally lives on the property. She's an eighth of a mile away down the road. It's literally a few blocks away. And so I called her a couple of times and you were laboring, we were unpacking. And then it was an hour after we had arrived. Talk to us what had happened at that point for you. Um. So I remember you being on the phone and saying we should call the midwife back if the contractions are five minutes apart mm -hmm. or if you can't rest or if you just want her to come. And so you asked me to call her. And so I had called and said, you know, hey, Tessa is experiencing, you know, I think traditional labor experiences. Like, what, what should we do? And she very clearly told me, she was like, you know, first deliveries can take, you know, 12 to 24 hours or more. So, you know, she said, I'll be there in the morning to come check on you, uh, but call me if anything changes in the middle of the night and I'll come then. Uh, but basically just hang out tonight. You know, if you can get some sleep and we'll, I'll see you in the morning. I was like, okay, that's a fine plan. I'm, I'm good with that. And it was no more than five minutes later. You're like, Jeff, call her back. <laughs> Something is changing. You know, I feel a sense of pressure. That's what you're doing there. Yeah. I mean, I, at one point I tried to sort of time the contractions to figure out like how far apart are they? Because mm -hmm. I wasn't really sure if they were five minutes apart or not. Um, but at the time I couldn't really figure out when they started or when they stopped. So I like had my phone and I was timing <laughs> stuff, but it was like not very effective um, for me to be doing that. <laughs> right. And so basically you said, you know, call her back because I feel a lot of pressure. Like I it feel feels, different. I feel different. feels different. So I called back the midwife and said, you know, can you come now and check on Tessa because she's experiencing something new. I don't know what it is. I can't describe it. But like, can you come now? And she said, yeah. She's like, I'll be there in a few minutes, you know, uh, and so just hang out. No, no, no big deal. Like, okay. Hung the phone up. Um, I left you in the bathroom for a few minutes and I went to continue unpacking. Um, and then everything changed. And then I sort of just felt a pop <laughs> and I was like, Oh my gosh, the baby's head popped out. Um, so I just yelled your name and I came running in and I see you over the toilet with a baby's head popped out. <laughs> 
And I literally, my, my gut reaction was just run and throw my hand under her head. And at the exact moment I did that, she popped out. And I caught her with my hand over the toilet right there in the cabin. And that, that changed my entire life. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. And so we just stood there for a little while because we, you know, he had two hands full of a slimy baby. Yes. And I was so in shock that it had happened so quickly. This was about one thirty. This was, yeah, one twenty-eight a.m. is when she was born. Um, so we just sort of stood there for a few minutes. Um, seemed like a really long time. It was probably no more than three or five four minutes, minutes yeah. five minutes tops maybe. Um, and we didn't know what to do. So we just kind of hung out. <laughs> um, I happened to have my phone in my hand because I was trying to time my contractions. Mm-hmm. So I took some selfies of us just <laughs> chilling over the toilet. Um, Which is great because that, that captures this um, intensely bizarre moment that was amazing in so many ways where I was literally just holding our baby you know, over those toilet and, you know, you had a, a, she had the umbilical cord still attached and so she could breathe, but she was still trying to gasp for air. And so we're just, I was literally like, going, I don't know what to do at this point. I have two hands on this brand new baby and I have no idea what's going on. Of all the scenarios, you know, we had practiced different birth positions yes. and we had a log for like, how often will you offer me water during labor? Like all these plans for how labor was going to go and this was not this was not one of them no one ever prepared us for this moment so we eventually got her kind of under your legs so you could hold her um and then you were able to at that point kind of comfort our brand new baby while i called the midwife and said guess what she's here early and so then i mean the midwife was just like oh my goodness i can't i can't believe that um and according to somebody else like she has never missed a birth before in her 47 years of, of midwifery she's always been there live and so she came less than 10 minutes later. She was there at our front door with all of her stuff. And just, I remember, this is so clear. She walks into the bathroom and looks at us and goes, okay. Like, just the calmest, most yeah. rational response. And I was like, this is why we're here. Because there's no panic. There's no freaking out. Like, we're freaking out. Or at least I am. You were. I was in La La Land, right. I think. <laughs> so I was just like, okay, I'm glad she's here. Let's let, let's let this calm, amazing midwife take over. And she did. And it worked out beautifully at that point. So she kind of led me to the bed and got us all situated and she took care of me and she got the cord already and Jeff cut the cord. Mm-hmm. And then she sort of moved the baby up and helped me start breastfeeding and just kind of wrapped us up in blankets and we laid in bed for a while. Yeah. And that was that. I, I think part of kind of just to give the, the numbers on this, Maisie, when she was born, was five pounds, 14 ounces. So she was a smaller baby, which is maybe plays into why she was born so quickly. Um, you're also taller. So maybe that's part of it. We're not really sure. But she was definitely born two and a half weeks early and but was still very healthy. Um, and so at that point, I mean, it was really just the midwife taking care of you in a cabin and I was doing whatever I could to help. Um, and we spent the next five days there just kind of living in the woods and, you know, detached from everybody. Of course, m- our parents came to visit immediately. They were on the road overnight make- making the trip down, uh, which was very helpful as well. But uh, yeah, at that point, we were parents. Yeah, it was wonderful to just spend time with our little baby. And mm-hmm. there was a little porch swing. And so we took her outside and watched a s- rainstorm one time. And mm-hmm. uh, we really were just in this little cabin no tv no internet um, barely any phone service so we had electricity and air conditioning and stuff like that but there really 
for all intents and purposes, we were sort of cut off from the rest of the world. And I think that was, you know, really by design. Yes. Um, just sort of savoring those first few days with this new wonderful presence. Yeah. So we spent uh, spent five days on the farm and then we went back home and sort of did what new parents do and figure out how do we sleep? How do we, you know, not kill our new child? <laughs> all those kind of fears that parents have. Uh, how do we take care of her? Breastfeeding and all, all the things that come with that. And it was really putting our, our systems to the test of how do we adapt to new uh, this new life as, as parents. So uh, do you want to tell how we end up picking uh, the name for her? Um, Sure. Yeah. So I had all these sort of wonderful ideas for names. Um, I knew that I wanted to have like a nickname, like a cute kind of babyish kind of name and also a bigger, fuller name. Um, something that to me would sound sort of presidential or something mm-hmm. in case she, you know, went on to become president or something <laughs> important. Um, so I knew that I wanted that. Um, and I came up with probably 12, 15, something like that, different names and was asking you, do you like these? Do you not? What do you think? Um, and then at some point you just kind of settled on Marcella. Yeah, we had seen enough names that I think we were we were trying to find like are they Scottish last names because Sanders might be you know Scottish heritage. Like, I didn't really care that much about any of that, but I was just interested in having a, a strong name. And you liked the nickname Maisie so much that that just kind of stuck. But I think that we we wanted a good strong first name. Yeah, but we so. had lots of different options and you, way too many. Yeah, <laughs> some good, some bad. But you kind of. After a while, I was like, are we going to keep thinking about it? And you're like, nope, we thought about it. Nope, that's it. That's it. And then I bought the domain name. So <laughs> I had, you know, MaisieSanders.com and MarcellaMarie.com and all the all the good combinations of that. So if you're trying to find those domain names, don't worry. I bought them. They're mine. Um, or they're hers in the near future. So, so yeah, that's, uh, that's our story. Uh, as wild as that is, I think that, if anything, the thing I, I love sharing is that moment when she was born because it's just so unique and so magical and so mysterious and it just i think to me it just capped off this crazy experience in a way that i could never have imagined and we have a gorgeous healthy baby so here in the podcast studio with you and she's right here taking a little nap so she's doing great so tessa thanks a lot for for sharing the story i'm, I'm so glad to to have you as, as my wife and to have you as the mother of our child uh it's awesome to have you and, uh, and this is great oh, thanks steve so uh, uh, next, uh, as part three will uh, be taking place over the next coming years as we discuss parenting, there's no official part three, but we'll just, uh, if you have questions uh, about life as a, as a parent, life as a pregnant person, life uh, with a child, let me know because I, I think that a big part of what the 5A miracle can be is, is help for people who uh, have challenges with productivity, time management, early mornings, which no doubt the number one question I get all the time is what do you do when you have kids? Because it's the the biggest hurdle for most people because it's the biggest wild card in the whole scenario. And I can definitely say three months into to, to parenting, wow, it's, it certainly does throw everything for a loop if, and for really good ways. I think that we're establishing new routines now. There's better skills in place for us, better systems. There's a lot that can be said even in just the first three months about how we've already changed as people. And so to that degree, uh, the future of, of the podcast is, I think, secured for the next you know a few years. So once again, questions, Jeff at jeffsanders.com is my email. And uh, Tessa, thanks again. Hey, 
And for the action step this week, consider all of your options, even the weird ones. So when Tess and I began our journey to get pregnant, neither one of us would have told you we would do the things the way that we did them. In other words, we evolved and opened the doors of possibility at every single step in the process. So if you are facing a challenge or pursuing a big goal and you haven't yet figured out what your next move should be, take a step back and ask yourself if you've considered all of your options. Sometimes the weird answer is the right one. Sometimes the fringe is where you find your sweet spot. Think about that and see where the possibilities take you. And as always, for the show notes this week, go to jeffsanders.com slash 256 as an episode 256. That's all I have for you this week here on the 5 a.m. Miracle Podcast. Until next time, remember that you have the power to change your life. And that fun begins bright and early. Hey, it's Jeff Sanders, and I'm here to tell you about Greg McEwen and his amazing show, The Greg McEwen Podcast, part of the Yap Media Network. Want to achieve more by doing less, all while avoiding burnout? You can design a life that really matters with Greg McEwen, author of New York Times bestsellers, Effortless and Essentialism. His mission is to help you advocate and negotiate your way to remarkable results. Every Tuesday, Greg discusses one key topic he finds interesting and valuable through the lens of the essentialist. Every Thursday, he invites thought leaders, entrepreneurs, celebrities, and people like you for inspired weekly conversations focused on learning how to do what matters first and do less but better. His content will stir your thoughts and spark inspiration and action. And his British accents, well, that's just the cherry on top. Subscribe to the Greg McEwen podcast today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.